Amen. Well, it's preaching time. Take your Bibles, turn with me please over to the book of 2 Samuel in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter number 21. Boy, I appreciate uh, the music this morning. Good, good music, good singing. Stirred my heart. Amen. Hopefully prepared our hearts for the preaching of the Word of God. 2 Samuel chapter number 21, when you find your place, you can stand with me please. Second Samuel chapter number 21, verse number 15. If you're there, say amen. amen. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ishbibinab, girls, that's a good name for you to write down and name your baby when it's born. <laughs> Ishbibinab which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of those whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zuriah, succored him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt not, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. Verse 18, and it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines. Verse 19, there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. Verse 20, and there was yet a battle in Gath. We're going to preach from these verses this morning. Verse 15 down through verse number 22. On this very simple thought, there was again a battle. There was again a battle. Lord, help us this morning as we... Take this passage of scripture. I pray that you bring it alive in our hearts and minds. Let's extract some truth that would help us in our Christian walk. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much for standing. I appreciate it. You can be seated. So uh, at the last moment, I decided to go down, spend a couple days with our teens at teen camp. I wanted to go with our juniors to junior camp. Really, really wanted to go. Had some stuff here I needed to do. And I uh, just decided to not go, kind of regretted it later when I heard about all that was happening, heard about all the preaching, heard about all the moving of God. I, I said, man, I wish I'd have gone. And that was the week before. And then our teens went down to Monroe. And I told my wife, I said, I believe, I believe I'm going to have to go down there and get a little bit of that and be there with our teenagers and just be able to be a part of what God was doing. So I slipped down there early Monday morning, was there Monday, Monday night, Tuesday, Tuesday night, got up early Thursday, uh, Wednesday morning and came back. But Tuesday morning early, I was sitting in the dining hall at the end of the tables there where the young people eat and opened up my Bible just randomly to this passage of Scripture. And as I began to read, God really uh, spoke to my heart and I began to jot down some thoughts. Uh, Brother Adriel interrupted my meditation by asking me, would you like a cup of coffee? I said, no, I just had a cup of coffee. I'm fine. I'm good. He said, well, I'm going to run up to the coffee shop and get me some. I said, you're going to a coffee shop? He said, yeah, they don't have decaf. And he, if he drinks caffeine, he gets headaches. I knew first time I saw that head of yours, you was going to have trouble with it. <laughs> I said, well, I'll ride with you. If you're going to go to the coffee shop, I'll ride with you. And I said, Brother Leader, you want to go? Yeah, I'll go. And then Brother Chad Bailey was there. He said, I'll go. So we all jumped in my truck and we went up to the coffee shop and got some coffee and 
And uh, we had uh, a really amazing, amazing experience. I won't get into all that. It was life-changing, was it not? Absolutely. It was quite an experience. One of the highlights of my life was going to the coffee shop with Brother Adriel. But I, I, all day on Tuesday, off and on, God was working in my heart with this message along with the one that I preached on Tuesday night at camp that I preached here Wednesday night. Is anybody confused? I was working on two messages at the same time, all right? This one and the one that I preached Wednesday night about uh, they say you can't, and they say you can't. If you missed that one, you had to go back and listen to it. So I preached that one Tuesday night, but I almost preached this one because it was burning on my heart, and it has been ever since early Tuesday morning before Brother Adriel come and got me and took me to the coffee shop, and I won't get into all the adventures of that trip, but we almost died, I'll say that. And it wasn't with nothing to do with coffee. But anyway, so I was working on, uh, it wasn't the coffee, it was the whole, huh? It, well, it kind of was, because it was your idea. But well, I won't get into all that. What I want to say is this. I really felt like the timing, the timing that God gave me this thought out of these verses could not be any more appropriate. This was Tuesday morning. We had a major victory in our Supreme Court just a couple of days ago. And I couldn't help but think yesterday and this morning early as I finished working on this message, how appropriate it was that God would give me for our church this message for this hour. Because we really just witnessed one of the greatest victories, one of the greatest uh, legal victories of our lifetime. It don't matter how long we live, what just happened is unbelievable. Amen, it's, it's unbelievable. For a 50 year precedent, to be struck down is absolutely unheard of. It's unheard of. And there's a whole lot of fussing even from uh, so-called Republican senators that are angry with, uh, with these three Supreme Court judges that, that were appointed under President Trump and that were confirmed to the Supreme Court. They said, well, they lied during their preliminary hearings. They lied, they lied to us during our one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm thinking to myself, how could they have lied, first of all, about their position on, on pro-life? Everybody knew where they stood. They were appointed because they were pro-life. And I'm gonna get distracted if I'm not careful. Uh, but we all watched the hearings and we heard their answers. Uh, but uh, my, my biggest problem is, why was you asking them? Why were you even asking them? Why was it a litmus test for you to ask a, 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 a nominee if, if they were going to uh, change or try and strike down Roe versus Wade? Why would that even be something that you would ask them? They had to walk through landmines as it was to get confirmed. But what we've seen happen what we've seen happen is absolutely unprecedented in our day. And now states, individual states will have the opportunity uh, and some have already taken advantage of that. I mean, I think the state of Missouri literally was within minutes of that Supreme Court ruling banned abortion in their state. To God be the glory, amen. And other states I'm sure will follow suit with that. And almost 50 years of murdering babies, we can rejoice in a victory. But here's my, here's my point this morning. We cannot relax. We cannot sit down. We cannot stop fighting. Why? Because there will always be another battle. There will always be another battle. 
I want to give you three points this morning. I've got a few sub-points. We'll move through these as quickly as we can. But if you're taking notes, I want you to notice in our passage this morning the persistence of the battle. The persistence of the battle. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. Do you see that? This wasn't the first time. They've been fighting the Philistines for, for decades, all right? This has been something that's been ongoing. But the Bible tells us in verse 15, the Philistines had yet war again. By the way, Philistines, whenever you see them in the Old Testament, it's always a type and a picture of the world, type and a picture of sin, type and a picture of anybody and anything that is in opposition to God, the people of God, the word of God. You can just kind of throw all those in there together. The Moabites, the Ammonites, uh, the, the Hittites, all of those different tribes, they all are a type and a picture of the flesh, the world, and anything that is an enmity with God. Whenever you see that, whenever you see in the Old Testament of uh, uh, Israel fighting with these different nations and these different tribes, it's a type and a picture of the, the struggle and the war between the believer and the world and the opposition of the world. Those things always are synonymous and you can see that parallel fault. So we see in verse 15, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And then in verse number 18, there was again a battle with the Philistines. This is a different one. This isn't the same one in verse 15. This is another one. In verse 19, there was again a battle with the Philistines. Verse 20, and there was yet a battle. So you see this never-ending cycle of battles, victories, battles, victories, battles, victories. And the point that I want to make to you this morning is that there will always be another battle. These battles that we find here in these verses from verse 15 down to verse number 22, these battles were fought in different places. And these battles had different faces. But it was always with the Philistines. It was always the same underlying problem. There will always be another battle. And it doesn't matter how many battles you have fought. And it does not matter how many battles you have won. There will always be another battle just right around the corner. There will never be a day in the life of the believer when we can sit down, where we can retire from the battle. The battles will continue to come. We see that the battle will come to you. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. They were the ones initiating these battles. They were the ones initiating these wars. And let me tell you something. The, the world... And the devil is not going to let the people of God rest. They're not going to let the church rest. Jesus said this, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell will always be coming against the church, the body of Christ, always be coming against the people of God. There will not be a day when you and I will not be confronted with the need to fight the battle because the enemy will make sure they bring the fight and the battle to us. Now, I wish it was the other way around. I wish God's people were so spirit-filled and so energized and motivated and passionate about the things of God that they were taking the battle to the enemy, that we were taking the fight to the enemy, that we were the ones initiating, that we were the ones that were establishing the fighting grounds and we were the ones establishing the terms and the, uh, of engagement. Unfortunately, the world is the one seemingly always initiating the battle and we're always kind of finding ourselves in defense mode. We see this is a common occurrence in the Old Testament. I almost preached this message, I almost titled my message this morning, Goliath's got kids. Goliath's got kinfolk. This, all these giants that they're fighting in here, 
They were all relatives of, of Goliath in some way, shape, or form. And David had already fought and killed Goliath, but the battle wasn't over. Goliath's got youngins. Goliath's got kinfolk. Goliath had brothers. Can I tell you something? We can win a big, as big a battle victory at today as you could possibly imagine. But trust me, tomorrow, when I tell you that the Philistines got more enemies, they got more giants, the battles will continue. There's no place to stop. There's no place to sit down. There's no place to relax. Three things I want to notice about these giants that we find in this story right here. Quickly, we see, first of all, in verse 16, the wheel of the giants. The Bible says Ishbibinab, which was of the sons of the giant, uh, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword. Watch this. Thought to have slain David. You, need to, you and I need to understand this morning that the will, the desire, the whole motivation behind these Philistine giants in our society, it is to kill and to destroy and annihilate the people of God. All right? They're not content with just insulting us. They're not content just mocking. They're not just content laughing. They're not content just ignoring. They're not content disregarding our words and our messages and our warnings. Their desire, the devil's desire, the giant's desire is that he might slay David. That's what they want to do. They want to take us out. And they will not stop until they do or until Jesus comes back, one or the other, whichever one comes first. Would to God we had the same resolve. Would to God we had the same burning, motivating passion that the world has and the, and the giants have. This giant no doubt laid in the bed at night and dreamed and fantasized of taking David off of the scene, taking him out of the picture. And yet many times God's people are thinking about dreaming about every other thing except the battle that we're involved in. Let me say this, if God's people in the church was half as strategic as the world is, we could get a whole lot more done. We can't get anything done because we're flying by the seat of our pants. God's people in the church, they'll get all worked up, they'll go to some rally, they'll post a few things on social media, and then they'll go to sleep on God for the next six months. The devil is constantly strategizing. The world is constantly mobilizing their, 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 their soldiers and their planning and their scheming, and they've got one ultimate desire, and that is to take out and to destroy the people of God, the church. I sat yesterday at that rally and heard statistic after statistic of how many churches were completely shut down, closed forever during 2020 COVID shutdown. Shuttered forever. How many percentage of Americans, and there was an unbelievable amount of research apparently had gone into these statistics of the, of the high number of percentage of so-called Christians, church members that got completely out of church two years ago, never to go back to church again. Do you think that was an accident? Do you think that was just some fly-by-night uh, 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 ripple-down effect, some domino effect of something that nobody had control over? Absolutely not. That was part of the plan from the beginning. The devil's not flying by the seat of his pants. And the world's not flying by the seat of their pants either. They can mobilize. They can have people on the streets. They can have protests. They can organize things absolutely overnight. God's people still trying to figure out where they left their flip-flops. Can't even get it together. And the world has already formed an army. And they've already launched their attacks. They've got their strategies. And they've already mobilized. What am I saying? I'm saying that the will of the giants was to, they thought to have slain David. That was their ultimate goal. They hate you, they hate me, and they hate everything we stand for. 
We see not only the will of the giants, but we see the weapons of the giants in verse number 16. That's, this, is, this is in here for a reason. That Ishbibinab, which was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword. A new sword. Well, that jumped off the page at me. The giant was emboldened because he had a new weapon. He had a new weapon. He had one the Israelites had never seen before. He had one that had been specially made. He probably had some blacksmith somewhere. He'd gone in there and put in his custom order. This is what I want. I believe this is the kind of sword I'm going to have to have. If I'm going to kill David, it's got to be this and this. And boy, he probably went in there and, and, and tweaked that thing, make sure it fit his hand, make sure it was balanced, make sure everything was just right. And he had this new sword and he was excited about pulling out a sword that David and the Israelites had never seen before. Can I tell you something? Satan will always be pulling new weapons out of his his arsenal. He's always got a new weapon. He's always got something new and shiny that he can try to use to destroy and annihilate the people of God. Can I tell you something this morning though? We can just still use the same old sword that we've been using. The one our fathers have used. The ones our grandfathers have used. Amen. We don't need new swords. We don't need new Bible translations. We don't need new versions. We don't need new philosophies. We don't need new methods. What we need is for God's people to put their hand on the sword that is our always work. That has always got the job done. And that's what we need to get back to doing. Blows my mind to see these pastors in their skinny jeans standing up with their mohawks and their pink hair and trying to tell me that I'm going to have to fight the Philistines and fight the giants with their new swords. There's nothing wrong with the sword. There's nothing wrong with the Bible. The problem is those of us that are welding it don't know what we're doing. Amen. The world's always going to come up with new weapons and new swords. Everybody all right? Or would you like for me to dye my hair pink? Would that make you feel better? Don't hold your breath on that one. The will of the giants, the weapons of the giants, he being girded with a new sword. Thirdly, we see the weirdness of the giants. Look at verse number 20. And there was yet a battle in Gath where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot, six toes, four and 20 in number. I wonder what a pedicure cost him. I wonder what a mani-pedi cost him when they counted all them extra toes and fingers. I wonder if they had to upcharge it. I wouldn't even know what a mani-pedi was. I wouldn't be caught dead getting no stupid pedicure. But anyway, he was a Philistine, so he probably had a, had a favorite chair down there, somebody that he went to every week to get his toenails painted. Y'all quit, I'm trying to preach. Leave me alone. He had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, four and 20 in number, and he also was born to the giant. And we say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this, we're gonna see things in this battle we've never seen before. We're gonna see things that make us take a step back and go, what did, what did I just see? We're going to hear things that's going to make us take a step back and say, I know, I know they didn't just say that. Girlfriend. I know you didn't, girlfriend. No, you didn't, girlfriend. They say things in the news. They say things and you just, you, you just blink three or four times. And you go, I know. I know. I know they didn't just say that out loud. This is stuff that 
We said years ago that they were thinking. We preached years ago, this is their agenda. This is what they're trying to do. This is what they want. This is their ultimate goal. And everybody says, oh, y'all are just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. Y'all are just crazy. Now they're saying it out loud in a microphone and I still cannot believe what I'm seeing. Six fingers, six toes. Wow. That's not something you see every day. I can remember when the sodomite crowd's mantra was this. What we do in the privacy of our bedroom is nobody else's business. Y'all remember when that was their mantra? Now they got the the drag queens reading stories to four-year-olds in the library trying to recruit your boys and girls. Yeah, we've come a long way from what we do in our bedroom and the privacy of our bedroom, but we knew 40 years ago that that was their goal. We knew 40 years ago that we were gonna see it one of these days, and now we're seeing things we never thought possible. We're seeing things that are just, can I say it? Abnormal. Can we all agree that six fingers and six toes is out of the ordinary? That's unnatural. That's not normal. It's amazing what you can get out of that Bible if you'll just slow down and read it for a few minutes. I imagine while he was fighting that giant, he was counting them toes going, man. (laughs) Or maybe not, I don't know. What am I saying? I'm saying we need to be prepared to fight regardless of the novelty. We need to be prepared to battle regardless of whether or not we've seen it before. And the devil's just going to keep pulling out stuff. You can mark this down. This is gross as I'll get out, but you can mark this down. I said this. We're just a few months, if not a couple years away, from where people will be marrying their pets. All right? Because if you'll go along with this transgender garbage, you will go along with anything. Anything. If you're, if, if you're going along with mutilating little boys and girls, and if I'm making you uncomfortable, you're welcome to leave. We'll fumigate, we'll fumigate your seat after you're gone. If you'll go along with mutilating little boys and girls, we won't even let five-year-olds pick what they eat for breakfast. We won't let six-year-old, five-year, six-year-old girls tell us what they want to eat for breakfast. And yet we're going to let them walk in there and tell us that they want to get their body transformed to be another sex, another gender. And parents and doctors are going along with it. That's demonic. It's straight pits of hell. I know some of you said preacher. He just preached on that the other day. I know. I'm preaching on it again today. Because we got a giant in our story that is a freak of nature. It's in the text. I couldn't help it. It's in there. It's weird, strange, unusual. The persistence of the battle. There will always be another battle and it's going to get more weird the further we go. Number two, write this down. We see the pressures of the battle. The pressures of the battle. Look at verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. Watch this. And David waxed faint. I've got that highlighted in my Bible. David's one of my heroes. I love the story of David. And when I read that, I almost started crying. My hero, my giant killer hero, waxed faint. 
David was a warrior. He was a fighting machine. I mean, David liked to fight so much, he fought when he didn't even have to. Come on now. Saul said, you can marry my daughter if you'll bring me a hundred, whatchamacallits, of the Philistines. And he brought him 200. Come on now. The guys are like, David, can you count? Can you not count? Saul only wanted a hundred. He only wanted a hundred. David's like, yeah, but I'm having too much fun to quit now. He killed a hundred more Philistines. Come on now, y'all. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And, and, and he showed up and he didn't just have one satchel. He had two. Saul's like, wow, okay. He must have really wanted to marry my daughter. Yeah, I really wanted to marry your daughter. David was a killer machine. He was such a killer machine. He was such a killer machine that one night he had this idea, I want to build a temple. I'm dwelling in a temple, beautiful house. And my, and, and my God's dwelling in a tent, old shabby tent. Something's wrong with this picture. I want to build a temple, an exceeding magnifical temple for the ark to be in. And you know what God said? Son, I can't let you do it. You can go ahead and stockpile all the material. You can go ahead and cut down the cedars. And you can go ahead and make the nails. And you can go ahead and make the hinges. And you can go ahead and get it all together. And I'm going to let your son do it. But I don't want you to build my temple because you're a man of blood. You're a man of war. This is the David that we see in verse number 15, waxing faint. Oh, when I saw that, it made my heart stop. David was a warrior and a fighter. But he was waxing faint. Why? Let me give you three or four reasons right quick. Number one, he was, he was faint from the daily fight. See, it's, it, it's one thing to read about David and Goliath. And the boy coming off the, fresh off of the, off of the pasture watching the sheep. And the most strenuous thing he had done that day is played his harp. Maybe. And him running down that hill in the valley of Elah. Brother Sasser... Been there. Been there. I got those five smooth stones in my office out of that brook. Ran down that hill. Ran across that valley towards the giant. Well, we read that and we go, whoa, that's what I'm talking about. David, whoa, that's what I'm talking about. But you get over here years and years and years later and it started to take its toll. It lost, the, it lost its, gl- its glamour, the glitter of the battle and the novelty of the battle day after day after day after day, swinging that sword, killing the enemy, blood and guts everywhere, death everywhere, corpses everywhere. After a while, his body began to respond to this daily grind of the battle and he began to wax faint. The problem I'm seeing today with a lot of Christians is they start out like a bat out of the bottomless pit, wide open. Woo, they get saved and baptized. Woo, I'm saved. Oh, this is wonderful. And it is wonderful. And then they get introduced to the battles. They get introduced to the fight. They get introduced to the reality of the Christian life. And they realize that you cannot be a disciple if you don't take up your cross and follow him. And they realize that they have to be prepared and armed every single day for this battle. And after a while, it begins to take its toll. And that's why a lot of Christians sit down. That's why a lot of preachers just quit preaching. I've heard them say it with my own ears. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I'm 
tired of fighting. David, killing machine, waxed faint from the daily fight. No rest, no break, no vacation, and you can't take a vacation. David was dealing with not only this daily fight, but I believe he was dealing with a whole lot of emotional, stay with me now, emotional and psychological things. We would say it like this in the computer world. He had some more programs running in the background. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When your computer starts acting a little bit slow, you got too many programs running. While he was fighting in verse number 15, there were some things he was dealing with in his mind Programs running in the background that contributed to him waxing faint. Back up to the chapter, we're in chapter 20, just back up to verse 1. Here's one of them right here. Not only was it the daily fight, but he was having to deal with devastating famine. The Bible says in verse 1, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the days of David three years. Watch this, year after year. Do you see that? I got tired just reading that. There was a famine. In the days of David, three years, year after year. Do you see the way the Bible describes this? We're talking about a famine. Here in this country, people are concerned about a possible food shortage. We're concerned about the supply chain being interrupted. Imagine three years where there's no food. People are dying. People are hungry. People are diseased. People are sick. People are weak all over the nation. And David, this was weighing on him, this famine year after year after year. Hearing these daily reports from his people coming in and saying these people over here are dying. This tribe over here doesn't have the food. And the grass is not growing and livestock's dying. Cows are dying. Sheep's dying. Goats are dying. We don't have this. We don't have that. Day after day. Month after month. Year after year. For three years. All this is playing into David. Why he was waxed a faint. Say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying right now, not only is the church of the living God having to contend with the giants that are coming at us on a daily basis, but we're also having to live with the realization we are living in a day of great famine. There used to be churches all over, all over the country where people could go and get fed, where the bread could be broken and God's people could be fed. But I'm going to tell you something right now. It is hard to find churches anymore where people can go and get fed. There is a famine, a spiritual famine in this land. I'm not talking about baby food. I'm not talking about baby formula. I'm not talking about running out of stuff on the grocery stores. I'm talking about people going and stand, standing and sitting in churches where they're leaving just as hungry as they were when they got there. Peter called them whales without water. False teachers, whales without water. I think the preach for just a little bit. We're living in a famine. People are starving. Starving. Callie sent me, Callie sent me a screenshot yesterday of one of her friends and said, I'm just absolutely sick of listening to all these different podcasts. Said, I'm just going to start listening to your daddy's preaching online. Said, I get more out of his preaching than do all this other stuff. She said, ain't nothing out there hardly fit to listen to. No, I didn't say that. Some teenage girl or a girl in her young 20s, friend of Callie's, sent her that. Said, there's just hardly anything decent to listen to. I hadn't turned, I haven't turned the radio on since January. Now, you necessarily want to. I'm not preaching against radios. I'm just saying that every time I turn it on, my blood pressure goes sky. I want to run my truck into something. 
When I hear about the craziness in this country, and it's not just in the politics, it's not just in D.C., it is in the churches, it is in ministries, it is in places where you expect people to still be standing and people still be taking a stand. They're falling over like flies. Why? There's a famine in the land. That's why. Devastating famine. All this is playing into his mind. Number three, disappointing failures. This is what stuff he's dealing with in the background. Look at verse one of chapter 21. There was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were protected. They had made a treaty and a covenant. Remember they deceived back in, in Judges, uh, in Joshua rather, in uh, Joshua chapter number nine, they made this pact. They, they remember they showed up with all the moldy bread and the old shoes and they deceived them into making this pact to, 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 to not be killed. And then when they found out they'd been lied to, God said, you gotta honor that treaty with the Gibeonites. Well, somewhere along the way, Saul and his family killed a bunch of them. And God said, I told you not to. And so now God is about to, God has given them this three years of famine judgment for Saul's disobedience. So here David is having to live with the repercussions of his predecessor's failures. Listen to me just a second, mamas and daddies. And this is going to be a long message. If you have somewhere to go, you can just go. I'm going to preach till I get done. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you mamas and daddies don't understand that the decisions and choices that you're making right now, you're not going to be the one to have to live with it. Your children will. Your grandchildren will. That thing is going to just come back to haunt you way on down the road. Saul made uh, the terrible choices and decisions, and now years later, the nation of Israel had to go through three years of famine because of it. And all this is weighing on David. Why is he waxing faint? It wasn't just a daily battle. That's enough to wear anybody out. It was the famine. It was the failures. And fourthly, he had just had to experience demoralizing funerals. He just had to bury a whole bunch of his people. Look at it. I'm in chapter 21. The Gibeonites said, we don't, we don't want silver. We don't want gold. We want, we want lives. We want men. You got to pay for this. Let seven men, verse number six, of Saul's sons be delivered unto us and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah. And the king said, I'll give them. And you start in verse number seven and you read down, David handed over seven of Saul's descendants. And the Bible says they hanged them on a hill, verse number nine, before the Lord. They were put to death in the days of harvest. It wasn't just those seven though. The Bible says in verse 12, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh Gilead, which had stolen them from the streets of Bethshan where the Philistines had hanged them. When the Philistines had slain Saul in Gibeah, and he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin, in the sepulcher of Kish's father. So David is waxing faint in verse number 15, but he had just had to dig up and bury men that he loved. The Bible says David loved Saul. He was his armor bearer, played the harp for him and saw the horrible demise of Saul. And then the Bible tells us that he loved Jonathan. I mean, his love for Jonathan was just unbelievable. And now he's having to dig up the bones of men that he had loved, men that he had fought with and fought alongside of. And he's having to put these men in the ground and all this is weighing on him. 
There's not a day goes by church, but what I don't have to deal with, not only, and you don't have to deal with, not just the daily fight and the giants that are coming at us with the new swords and the, and the six toes and the six fingers, but we're having to deal with the fact that we're watching people we looked up to, men of God that we sat under, men of God that trained us, men of God that we said amen when they were preaching, falling out like flies, and I'm sick of seeing men of God and churches buried, funerals of men of God, warriors, people that I looked up to. Weighing on me constantly. And the realization, Brother Bernard, that I could be the next one. Which brings me to my third point. We see the partner, partners in the battle. Look at what it says in verse 16. Ishbibinab, being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. Verse 17, but, I sit at the end of that table Tuesday morning, and when I read that verse, I went, David waxed faint, but Abishai, the son of Zeruah, succored him. That word succored there means to support, to help, to run when called for, to assist, to rescue. Are y'all still with me? Now listen to me. Abishai succored him. Abishai succored him and smote the Philistine. What Philistine? The one in verse number 16 girded with a new sword that thought to have slain David. <sighs> David put on his sword that morning and walked out of his tent. I can see him now. I can see him now going, oh, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. My heart's broken. Just dug up and buried and had a funeral. My best friend, a whole bunch of men that had to die because of Saul's stupidity. I had to hand them over and they hung them from a tree. I had to cut them down and bury them. Everybody's tired and weak reports are coming into the famine. David walked out there and I can see him now. He's putting his helmet on. He's strapping his chin strap. Putting his mail on. And there's old Ishbibi Nob standing out there with that new sword. Come on, big boy. Giant killer. Come on out here and get you some. This sword's got your name on it, David. Come on. And David's going... Boys, just give me a minute. I got to get myself together here. I'm so tired. I'm wild. I don't know when I've ever been so tired. I just don't know if I got enough juice in the tank. All of a sudden, he's seen he's something, something streaked by him. There went old Abishai. Pulled his sword out. David's like, what in the world was that? They said, hey, David, we got you back, buddy. Come on. Yes. No, Abishai ran out there and made quick work. Come on now. Yeah. Oh, Ishbibinab. He's laying on the ground. David probably, if I know David, he probably started crying right about there going, I almost bought the farm today, boys. I don't think I could have made it today. I don't think 
the giant killer. Could have fought one more giant today. And here's what hit me sitting at the end of that table Tuesday morning. It's a good thing. It's a good thing David was hanging out with giant killers. It's a good thing he was hanging out with the fighters. When Ishbibinab showed up, thinking that he was going to kill David with that new sword. It's a good thing David wasn't off by himself with an independent streak a mile wide. It's a good thing David hadn't gone off and left the church and say, I don't need that preacher. I don't need those people down there. I got this. I can fight this battle all by myself. I don't need no help. It's a good thing that David had the partners in the battle or he would not have made it this day. He wouldn't have made it. Abishai suckered him. Boy, I got looking at old Abishai. I wish to have time to preach about an hour about old Abishai. You get over there, you get over there in 1 Samuel chapter number 26. I ain't gonna preach this. I'm just gonna talk about it a little bit. 1 Samuel 26, everybody all right? We would be just starting the second inning if we was at an Orioles game right now. 1 Samuel chapter number 26 is the first time you find Abishai mentioned and that's when David was going to sneak down there in that cave where Saul was sleeping. Saul and all of his armies chasing David unjustly. Bible says in verse number six, David said to Ahimelech and to Abishai, who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. David said, I need a volunteer. We're going to infiltrate the enemy camp. We're going to infiltrate the enemy camp. I need somebody to go with me. Abishai said, I'm down. Let's do it. Let's get her done. Look at what it says. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. Behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster, but Abner and the people lay around about him. Then said Abishai to David, and this is the boy that come running past him to take care of old Ishbibinab. This is who we're talking about. Abishai said to David in verse 8, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with a spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. He said, all I need is one good swing. Just give me about four seconds is all I need. You give me the green light, David, I'll take care of business right here, right now. We won't have to deal with this guy no more. That was the guy he was hanging out with. (laughs) David said, no, no, Abishai, we can't touch the Lord's anointing now. He's, he's God's anointing. We can't do that. You, you better put that sword back in that sheath. I believe old Abishai said, shucks, David, come on, man. Chased us all over creation. I don't need, I won't swing. I, hey, when I swing, I won't miss. David said, no. This is the Abishai. You say, what in the world are you going This was who he was hanging out with when he was waxing faint. That's what I'm trying to say. This is the crowd he was hanging out with when he was about out of gas. He didn't go sit in some rocking chair somewhere. He didn't say, I can't do this no more. He's still on the battlefield. He's running low on fumes, but he had enough sense to partner with, surround himself with people that wasn't afraid of the giants, wasn't afraid of the new swords, wasn't afraid of all the abnormal, unnatural freaks of nature. That's the crowd he was hanging out with. And it's a good thing he was because he would never have made it home for supper if he hadn't been. I'm going to tell you something right now, y'all. Listen to me carefully. I don't care who you are. 
I'm preaching to myself this morning. I don't care who you are. You can't fight by yourself. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says two are better than one. Two are better than one. For if they have a good report, reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. Here's what the devil, listen to me now, I'm done. I'm, I'm trying to wrap this up. Here's what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to get you wax and faint from the famine, from the fight, from all the failures of the past, all the people that have gone before us and all their mistakes and all their stupidity. And there's a bunch of it. There's a bunch of it in Baptist churches. I'm Baptist, so I can pick on Baptist. I've seen a bunch of stupidity in Baptist churches in my day. It's demoralizing. It's aggravating. There's hardly a day goes by. I don't get a phone call. I got one yesterday. I bought these books from this preacher. I'm looking at these books from this preacher, and this stuff's just, this, this stuff's heresy. I said, tell me about it. Independent Baptist. Nonsense. Straight up hogwash. Hogwash. Frustrating. Frustrating. Aggravating. Just, just knocks the wind out of you. Brother Bettner, you just want to go. <sighs> but here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take all that and separate you from the, from the flock. If he, can, if, he can, if he can corner you off, if he can come in between you and the flock and get you off by yourself, you are dead meat, buddy. Those lines on the, on, around those herds of wildebeest, they, they look for the ones that are crippled, the ones that are lagging, the ones that are independent and run off by themselves, and they, they go in there and separate them. That's what the devil wants to do. Listen, you can't fight, you can't fight without me, and I can't fight without you. We need each other. And this battle ain't over. Here's what's going to happen with a lot of Christians after Roe versus Wade gets overturned. They're going to say, oh, and they're going to sit down and they open up their picnic baskets and they're going to get blindsided next week or week after next when there's another battle, there's another war, and they weren't ready for it. We better get prayed up. It's not time to have a picnic. It's time to sharpen your sword. Hey, it's time to reload. Are you listening to me? It is time. It is time to clean your gun. I'm not talking about real guns. I'm talking about spirituals. Somebody still with me. I ain't trying to start no war. We're already in a war. We're in a battle with the Philistines and with the giants. That's the war I'm talking about. You need to stay on your knees. You need to pray like you've never prayed before. Get in your Bible. Read like you've never read before. Memorize scripture. Meditate on scripture. Lay aside every weight. Get rid of all the sin. Clean up your life because there will come another war, another battle. And if you're not careful, you won't make it through this next one. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. Musicians are coming. I wonder if there'd be somebody this morning that would just, just leave your seat. Just leave your seat. Listen, there, there's, there's another battle coming. We don't have time to gloat. We don't have time to walk around for the next six months giving high fives. There's another battle. There's another giant. There's another enemy lurking in the shadows. We need to be prayed up. We need to have a warfare mentality. We need to get right with God. Stay right with God. Stay in tune with God. Stay on our knees. Do our homework. Make sure we're ready. Listen to me, church. I need you. I need you. They said to him in that verse, they said, you're not going back out and fight anymore, David, lest the light of Israel be extinguished. We don't want you to get killed. We don't want you to become a casualty. And in this story, there was a group of men that stepped up and said, we're going to have to fight for a while. Give David, a man of God, a break. 
Pastor Schiffler shouldn't be the only one in this church fighting. I need every one of us fighting. You need to be fighting. You got a family, you got a husband, you got a wife, you got kids, you got a testimony. Trust me when I tell you there's enough giants to go around. There's enough Philistines to go around. And when you kill one, another one pops up over there. And that one's got kids, and that one's got nephews, and that one's got an uncle. I'm telling you right now, we can't sit down, we can't stop. We can't stop fighting. Church needs to be strengthened. Strengthen the things that remain, Revelation says. He's playing, I need thee. I need thee every hour. I need a whole bunch of Abishai's standing around me, guys. Thank God for the Abishai's. That'll come to the rescue of the Davids when they wax faint. Children, you need to come to the rescue of your mom and daddy when they wax faint. Girls, you ought to be able to detect when mama's struggling and be there for her. Boys, you ought to be there for daddy when daddy gets tired. Charge him back up. Fight the devil as a family. Don't let it be a one parent, one child, one member of the family battle. Everybody needs to get involved, get engaged. Every member of Calvary Baptist Church needs to be engaged in the battle. I need thee, oh, I need thee. There may be somebody here this morning that's never been saved. If you died right now, you do not know for sure you'd go to heaven when you died. This wasn't a salvation message. A clear presentation of the gospel was not given during this message. But we've got people sitting around with a Bible that would love to take you off to the side and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. If you're here this morning and you do not know you are ready to meet the Lord. We would love to help you this morning. Would there be someone here? Slip your hand up, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Anybody, anywhere, preacher, pray for me. Would you slip your hand up wherever you might be? Just quietly slip it up where we can see it. Preacher, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. Anybody, anybody, anywhere. We wouldn't want you to leave this morning not knowing the Lord.